Hi everyone, it's Carter. A quick disclaimer before the episode. Riley and I are teachers in the real world. That's not made up for the show. But one thing we do make up are students. Riley and I take our roles as public community members seriously and would never use the real names or personal experiences of students in our classes, past or present. As such, any student names you hear us say are made up on the spot, and stories about our classes are highly editorialized for entertainment. Also, we like to keep our show clean of inappropriate language or content, but we feel that the stories themselves should be read without censorship of language. A content warning will be in the show's description in case we need one. That's it. Enjoy the Fable Fellas. Hello, my dear listeners, my dear Bagginses and Buffins, my dear Tooks and Brandybucks and Grubs and Chubs and Burroughses and Hornblowers and Bulgers, Bracegirdles, Good Bodies, Brockhouses and Proudfoots, and also my good Sackville Bagginses that I welcome back at last to the Fable Fellas. Fairy Tales Told Unfairly. I'm Riley. I'm Carter, and and you. Oh, whoa! I'm spiking all of a sudden. I'm all over the board. I got to get way back from my microphone here. This okay? That's better. Not many people know this, but you memorized that whole intro. Oh yeah, yeah. You rehearsed. I was, uh, you know, you were texting me. You're like, I'm so nervous about getting all of these names right of all the different Hobbit families that Bilbo associates with over in the Shire. So I took Carter's advice on the last episode, and I started up the audiobook. You're right, Carter. Andy Circus does a bang up job. Did you really? That is, I'm so happy to hear it. It's so good. It's so good. This is my first time ever actually reading Lord of the Rings, too. Oh, and it's a perfect way to do it. Uh, the audio, it's a dense novel, but the audiobook makes it just so manageable. And it's also an interesting, like, the Lord of the Rings is, it re- truly is like six books. Rather, it's like, you know, it's like six books in three books in one book. Mm-hmm. And... The separation between all of the moments is so is is nice to just spend time like you know in the first book you spend time in the Shire with the hobbits and in the next book and you know ha- or the second half of Fellowship, off you go on on like Frodo's big adventure, and you just hear about all these different things. It's nice. Truth be told, I've never been super big into either Lord of the Rings or Star Wars, which everyone who knows me always sees as weird because of how much I love science fiction and fantasy. So I'm enjoying this first foray into Lord of the Rings, but I'll tell you what, if someone had told me that Sam Gamgee's dad was Ham Gamgee years ago, I would have started Lord of the Rings years ago. (laughs) There are a lot of little details like that that are completely obscured in the the movies. Yeah, like how Gandalf just pissed off for nine years after Mm -hmm. Bilbo's party. Yeah, that is completely over, like overwritten, and it just seems like he goes on a little horse adventure to Minas Tirith, and he comes back like the next day, and it's like, yeah. these places don't seem that far <laughs> apart, honestly. But I guess when you're walking and you're a hobbit, thing, it's it's all yeah, days stretching into months. Yeah, you don't have that wide a stance. Yeah. What? what else is very interesting about that? There's just, there's a lot more hobbits. I remember, like, it doesn't, Frodo has, like, these other friends that aren't Merry and Pippin, I think, as well, who just, mm-hmm. like, sh- are there, and then they go, eh, never mind. 
Yeah, there were there have been two separate distinct conversations right now about the townsfolk talking about what happens over at Bag End or about what weird stuff is happening in the world abroad. And every time that there's a new conversation happening, my one thought is that I should create some sort of trivia game with you and the fellas where you try to identify which name of the bunch is made up. Like I just give you like a bunch of Hobbit names. Uh, I've always, I, I've always thought Bill or Frodo is son of Drogo, which always I associate with Cal Drogo from Game of Thrones, which sounds <laughs> so made up to me. That did jump to mind as well, yeah. And I also mix up in the Hobbits when um Thorin Oakenshield is like from the line of Durham, which I always which is like a just a type of like wheat you make bread with, like you know you get flour from. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that's just it's such a. It's such a, a harmless name for a powerful dwarven warrior. <laughs> yeah. Also, all those little things. The line that has struck out to me the most in my reading so far is when, okay, let's see. Like a character said, if that's where you get your news from, you'll never want for moonshine, which is just the most beautifully poetic way of saying that's stupid and you're stupid if you believe that. That's great. I That is a really powerful statement. You haven't met Tom Bombadil yet, have you? I have not. Okay, my I, I want to just give you but some advice. But I have advice. met Pippin to Ook. <laughs> when you get the the Tom Bombadil segment is going to last far longer than you expect it to. Oh yeah. And I my my advice to you is to live in the moment and love every second of it because you 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 may get you may be tempted to become tired of it and even slightly annoyed by it. Hang out with him because you're gonna miss him when he's gone. Okay. Shall and Andy Circus does an amazing <laughs> job singing. Yeah. Um. The road goes. Ev- What's it called? The road goes ever yeah, on. I have. I've read The Hobbit, and when I read it, I looked up like musical tracks that went along with all of those songs, and I mm-hmm. do feel a particular sort of fondness for that one. So I thought it was really touching that Bilbo's final moments in the franchise are him singing that song one last time. Mm-hmm. Well, he does show up back in Riven in Rivendell again. Oh, really? Well, oh, yeah. Oh, he's, neat. You know, he's like he's there. I want to see mountains, Gandalf. Mountains, mountains. And find somewhere quiet where I can finish my book. And so you shall, old friend. So you shall. Carter, maybe you should record audiobooks. <laughs> okay. Uh, the. Do you remember what happened last on the Beauty and the Be- Sorry, the Sleeping Beauty and the, the Wood. The Beauty and the Sleeping Beast. Um, <laughs> the, the Sleeping Beauty and the Wood. I believe when we last left off, she had fallen asleep, and so had everyone in the castle, and... Yeah, that's basically where we left off, right? We had a yep. long segment where we talked about, was it really the... Like, the fairy's fault? Was it really the king's fault? Like, discussing how nobody really did a good job communicating with anyone. <laughs> Um, I want to start back here at um, our favorite line from last time. Everything became as silent as if it were the middle of the night or as if the palace were a palace of the dead. Right, right. Not being able to pick a lane on the metaphors. (laughs) The king and queen having kissed their daughter and wept over her a little, but not much. She looked so sweet and content. Good night, honey. (laughs) (laughs) All right. (laughs) 
departed from the castle, giving orders that it was to be approached no more. The command was unnecessary, for in one quarter of an hour there sprang up it a wood so thick and thorny that neither beasts nor men could attempt to penetrate there. Above this dense mass of forest could only be seen the top of the high tower where the lovely princess slept. That's so, with no explanation of where the thorns come from, are we to assume that it was just another part of the curse, or just one of those things? You know, maybe... This could be some sort of, like, wild magic thing. One of the... Either the good fairy or the bad fairy. Maybe they're just, like, not as good as they think they are, or just there's this, there's this side effect. That's what I want to think has happened. I mean, we haven't mentioned any of the fairies in this sentence, so... <laughs> what else is to happen? Well, a great many changes happen in a hundred years, is the next line, so thank you for teeing that one up. You're welcome. (laughs) The king, who never had a second child, died, and his throne passed into another royal family. Oh, wow. Neat. So entirely was the story of the poor princess forgotten that when the reigning king's son, being one day out hunting and stopped in the chase by this formidable wood, inquired what wood it was, and what were those towers which he saw appearing out of the midst of it, no one could answer him. I don't know. Yeah. Some tower, I guess. Just one of those things. Some old terrible thick bramble that covers from end to end that no one can get through. Yeah, there's a yeah, yeah, there's a tower there. Sure, we see the tower. Yeah, we don't, we don't go there though. Nothing, probably nothing to speak of in there. <laughs> it's probably one of those things where the kids just inherit from their parents. That you, we don't talk about the bramble and the tower in the wood. Like yeah. the parents, they had their reason. Like, well, yeah, it was a bummer. You know, the fairy showed up. She was really upset. She grumbled a curse and then left, and it really ruined the vibe of the entire meal. We just, <laughs> we just, we 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 don't talk about it anymore. And so the kids, the only thing they didn't they inherited from it wasn't the context, but we don't talk about it. <laughs> hey, Dad, who's you know the new king of this uh, of this realm? What's the deal with that force <laughs> in that tower? And the king's like, yeah, bygones, uh, uh, bygones. <laughs> You know, sleeping dogs lie, you know. A really irresponsible king. (laughs) (laughs) At length, an old peasant was found who remembered having heard his grandfather say to his father that in this tower was a princess. Beautiful as the day. That's familiar. There's a princess up there, I reckon. My dad lives, dad's told him about the princess, lives in the tower, just always asleep and is very pretty. I'm 31 years old. (laughs) (laughs) because that was the life expectancy back in the day okay who was doomed to sleep there for 100 years until awakened by a a king's son her destined bridegroom any king's son will do any king's son is destined to marry her yeah (laughs) man they're not choosy think about how disappointing that must be for all of the other king's sons (laughs) I mean, one, I one see it as does it. I see it as the great equalizer. No one has to be particularly brave or kind or thoughtful or powerful. They just have to get there first. This is so true. Well, and you also have to be the son of a king. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. you do have to be powerful. I will. I think is is one thing you will have to be. The Oshpottles and the Gilgameshes alike could become the princess bride king. Is he editorializing here, or did the did the did the fairy actually say that she needs to be awakened by a kiss? I believe it was said. 
I don't know. It, I mean, in the end, <laughs> that old man, that single old man that remembered all the context of the curse, he sure did have a lot of recollection for someone who heard it from someone who heard it from someone else. Probably just <laughs> it's it's the fairy tales oldest version of the telephone game. Oh, I okay. So no, this is what the fairy said. So he is editorializing a little bit. The fairy said, "After the time, after the hundred years has ended, the son of a king shall come and awake her." Mm. That's it. Wake up! Come on, wake up! Oh no, okay. So, but the old man is also just saying, "Awake!" I keep, mm. I keep, I keep wanting to insert the kiss in there, but maybe yeah, that that see? happens like, you know. See, that is the problem with the fable fellas. And now it's not one that's fully our fault, but we are so ingrained in this fairy tale mm. culture because we were raised with it that it's very hard for us to sometimes read these stories and divorce the stories themselves from the version that we are aware of. Yeah, in this version, he's probably going to get up there. He's going to like go to the, you know, see see the sleeping princess and just kind of like shake her by the feet a little, like very gently, and be like, "Hey, princess, are you? Hello? Hey, wake up, wake up, sleepyhead, wake up, wake up. up. gotta go. Hundred years have gone up. by. It's time to get up. It's time to get up. It's time to get up. To get up. Meet the day." <laughs> At this, the young prince, who had the spirit of a hero, determined to oh, find good. out the truth for himself. Yeah, it is, that is convenient. Spurred on by both generosity and curiosity, he leapt from his ho- horse and began to force his way through the thick wood. To his amazement, <laughs> the stiff branches all gave I'm feeling both generous way. and curious today. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how generosity is honestly anything to do with this, but... I feel like they're two polar opposites, really. <laughs> If you do something selfish. to be curious, you're you're trying to satisfy your curiosity. But if you're trying to be generous, that's giving out the goodness of your heart. I feel like those are two pretty opposite things. Well, you know, he's he. I guess I guess maybe in his brain, he's like, I'm gonna save the princess. That's what he's gonna go do. He's gonna save the princess. He's thinking. But also, I want to spot that princess. I want to see. I want to see what's up up there. I want to see what's up. Is she truly beautiful as the day? <laughs> the, uh, to his amazement. Does, does she dance like a leaf on a tree in the wind? Does she dance like a wavy <laughs> arm man? Does she dance like a 21st century rave? <laughs> <laughs> oh, great princess, dost thou dance? <laughs> Do you dance like a leaf on a tree, or a leaf falling from a tree, or a leaf on a ground? Gah. Gusted up by the wind. I cannot stress enough that there is leaf imagery in how you move. Yeah. Please dance. <laughs> Put on your red shoes and dance the leaves. <laughs> so to his amazement, the stiff branches all gave way and the ugly thorns of their own accord. And the brambles buried themselves in the earth to let him pass. This done, they closed behind him, allowing none of his suit to follow. But ardent and young, he went boldly on alone. Okay, what does ardent mean? Oh, gosh. That's a word that I've heard so much from fantasy stories. Right? I should know. Ardent? Oh, God. It's got to mean, like, headstrong and determined, right? Something it's got to be. those lines? There's a faction in World of Warcraft that goes to fight the Lich King, and they're called the Ardent Crusade. Oh. So it's, you're gotta, you've got to be onto it here. Either determined or passionate or headstrong. Like Yeah, they, that I always let that... That definition uh, passed me by. Oh, wow. It hmm? just means enthusiastic or passionate. Hey, I got it in the end. Or 
in archaic literary terms, it means burning or glowing, like mm. the ardent flames. Does this count as a point for Aesop's Fable Fellows for me? Yes. Yeah, yeah still the champ. <laughs> Aesop's Fables Fellows presents uh, Dictionary <laughs> Corner with Carter and Riley. <laughs> the first thing he saw was enough to smite him with fear. Ah! Oh. Bodies of smoked. men and horses lay extended on the ground, That's but the crazy. men had faces not death white, but red as peonies, and beside them were glasses half filled with wine, showing that they had gone to sleep drinking. Next, he entered a large court paved with marble, where stood rows of guards presenting arms, but as if cut out of stone. Then he passed through many chambers where gentlemen and ladies, all in the dress of the past century, slept at their ease, some standing, some sitting. The pages were lurking in corners. The ladies of honor were stooping over their embroidery frames or listening, apparently with polite attention, to the gentlemen of the court. But all were as silent as statues and as immovable. Wow. This freaked me out. Yeah. That first one is very kind of uh, bloodborne in nature, and all those other ones are still equally kind of uh, eerie. Yeah. At this point, I would think, wow, that forest really wanted me here. Mm-hmm. I, at first Man. I thought it was being quite <laughs> kind, but I don't know about that anymore. Oh no, I let the forest take me to a secondary location. This is not good. <laughs> I've oh, I've really you goobered know, it. If I ever see my dad again, he's going to be so disappointed. Never let a forest take you to a secondary location, son. No matter how many princesses are locked in a tower. <laughs> no matter how much you want to. Their clothes, strange to say, were fresh and new as ever, and not a particle of dust or spiderweb had gathered over the furniture, though it had not known a broom for a hundred years. Finally, mm. the astonished That's prince handy. came to an inner chamber where the fairest sight his eyes had ever beheld. Oh, where was the fairest sight his eyes had ever <laughs> beheld? It's just like a deliciously cooked meal. Oh, lovely. It's like $300 of cash sitting on a, the table. A brand new PS5. It's like, uh, it's, it's, it's the people are just like frozen in a po poker game, but somebody's got a royal flush and he's like, oh my gosh, that's beautiful <laughs> to see. It's a brand new Pontiac. It's a wrestling match and Macho Man Randy Savage is frozen right as he's jumping off the tightrope. What would be the fairest sight your eyes would have ever beheld? Hmm. The fairest sight my eyes have ever beheld. Yeah. Well, well, of course, I know mine, but uh, you share yours first. <laughs> uh, the fairest sight I'd ever beheld, um, it's got to be when I, whenever Dominic Toretto in the Fast and Furious franchise starts a street <laughs> race and his Dodge Charger, it rears up on its, on its back wheels, but it looks like a horse kind of like rearing up on its hind legs and i always think to myself like ain't no way that's gonna make that car go any faster because surely that just that just introduces additional drag into the situation but inevitably dominic toretto wins the race except for one time where he lets paul walk he like paul walker wins but then it's revealed that he let him win because paul walker needed a win yeah um brian <laughs> brian o'connor uh <laughs> no, no no it was paul, paul walker. walker paul walker yeah exactly so that you know, I was going to say, that's always a satisfying thing because it's like that gives his, that, and it also gives Dominic Toretto more character because um, it's like all the other cars, get this, when all the other cars put pedal to the metal, they just go straight on ahead. But the, but this car, this car's like, I'm going to explore the third dimension. I'm going to go up for a minute before <laughs> I land on all four feet flying. I'm going to go somewhere no car has ever gone before, up. 
up <laughs> exactly i'm gonna go up and there ain't even a ramp how do i how, how am i even pulling this off you don't know but uh i reckon it's you know it's all the work it's all the love that dominic toretto's poured into his car because but you know he's all about family and to him yeah, his jaw's charger is like it's like his uh third his, his second brother because it's established i believe in fast and furious 9 that dominic toretto has a already has a brother you know who uh you know who dominic toretto uh looks like Enough, close enough that they could be brothers. I'm betting John Cena, right? Yes, John Cena. <laughs> so, like, they they somehow acknowledge, they somehow decide that those two are brothers, even though they look nothing alike. Um, at, at some point, they have to, they have a throwaway line in the movies uh, to, to, to establish, you know, because you're looking at them trying desperately to dangle and suspend your disbelief and acknowledge that these two must share some sort of uh, uh, fraternal bond and some character goes like ah Dominic Toretto I never realized you had a sort of Nordic edge to your bloodline (laughs) that's messed up you can't say that to a person you know yeah implying that like something about Dominic Toretto is sort of like you know tall chiseled blonde sort of Aryan features hey what do you mean what do you mean by that Dominic Toretto may be the exact opposite of Arian. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, uh, yeah, so, your turn. I mean, I had an answer beforehand, but now I think my new answer for the fairest thing I've ever seen is watching my friend Carter, who oftentimes is the most critical of movies when they're a little bit silly or stupid, talk with such passion and mirth about the Fast and the Furious. (laughs) <laughs> i you know what i've got a soft spot for in my heart family I've got a, uh <laughs> action movies i like an action movie i like them a lot i think it's great when they're well done i think it's great when they're not necessarily well done because like the well when they're when they're done not necessarily with an aptitude for storytelling or char- characterization or development at, or plot but rather when they are essentially trying to push the limits and showcase what they can do either technically or digitally with within the the spectrum of an action movie. And uh, recently, Jesse and I have been watching the Fast and Furious films and really, really loving them. We just finished what might be the best one, which is Fast Five, hmm. where they go to um, Rio de Janeiro and heist a safe from a corrupt politician. Is that the one where they pull the safe out of the wall with their car and drive it through the city streets? Uh, they pull yes, they pull it out of the out of the wall with two cars. I'll have mm, you know. Of course, of course. I mean, by that logic, you should have liked Double Down a lot more than you did. What was Double Down? That was, that was the Jean Claude Van Damme one. Oh, that was terrible. <laughs> yeah, it was. <laughs> I'm only I'm only willing to gaslight you so much when the others aren't around. <laughs> I was I was thinking this last uh that's last Wednesday when we were watching The Wolfman is that when you and I like bug each other on the podcast, it's a very sort of like gentle and fun and good-natured sort of ribbing, but when we get on each other's nerves on Wednesdays, it's, like, on site, and I wish just for once <laughs> we could get that energy on the podcast to show people the, like, the layers of our friendship. 
The Wolfman was terrible. It was so bad. That one was really bad. I was very happy that everybody agreed with me because I was worried about halfway through. I was like, this is not a good movie and I'm going to wait for somebody else to say it. (laughs) No, no, it was very bad. But I love watching terrible movies with the guys because of the banter we can make out of it. Ah, the good old banter. Yep. Anyway, Um, Sleeping Beauty. Yeah, speaking of the fairest sight his eyes had ever beheld, a young girl of wonderful beauty lay asleep on an embroidered bed, and she looked as if she had only just closed her eyes. All right. How do you how do you know how do you know how do you how do you know how do you how do you know that one? Is like, it because <laughs> what? <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, remember like when you were little, <laughs> your parents came into your room and you pretended to be asleep. You're like, don't lie to me. I can see that you literally just closed your eyeballs. You literally just closed your eyes. I can tell. You're, I can tell. Still... I'm a parrot. Your, your eyelids are still warm. I don't know. <laughs> your eyelids are still warm! I don't know how you know. How do you know? Oh, how do you so tell invasive. this? <laughs> the prince approached and knelt beside her. Some... Okay, this this book's about to have it both ways here. Uh-oh. Some say he kissed her, but as nobody saw it and she never told, we cannot be quite sure of the fact. Okay, well then we also can't quite be sure of the fact that there were people that drank themselves to death and soldiers lined up in a row and people sleeping in the galleyway. Now can we? That's a good point. Nobody saw that either. Like, why do something that you feel like is a little foo-foo poetic-y and then... Like... I get it. If you want to do something that kind of elevates your craft, cool, absolutely. But if it then invalidates the work you've been putting in throughout the rest of the piece, then it's not neat and thoughtful and well-written. It's just stupid. It's very, it is silly because it's like, this is, it's, it's kind of a cop-out that like, if, if all fairy tales did this, we would, we would get nothing done. Yeah. It's kind of like, so... At the end of Avengers Endgame, bear with me, please. <laughs> At the end of Avengers Endgame, they do this whole time travel thing where Captain America like goes back in time, puts all the stones yeah. back, and then he chooses to stay in the past with Peggy and have like the life he never got to have. Like that's his official retirement. And yeah, that's a very nice way to send off the character, but they spent the entire movie leading up to it establishing in no uncertain terms that that's not how time travel works in this particular universe like find a way to make it work without totally just disregarding everything you did before consistency matters can you imagine if captain america like the day before he was supposed to go out as like an old man and sit on the bench so that the falcon and the winter soldier could receive you know inherit the shield or whatever mm-hmm. you imagine like the day before or even like the morning of he like chokes on a bagel <laughs> <laughs> See what I thought was yeah, he's he's rushing to get there in time, but yeah. but then he's yeah. passing by the big ultimate fight happening, and he gets hit by a bus that the Hulk threw. <laughs> it's like, oh no! <laughs> like, or, or I'm gonna be late. Better. Boom! <laughs> They're just standing around. Even better and less morbid would be like he knows he knows exactly what time he got like you know his past self went back in time but he 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 like sleeps past his alarm so when he's sitting on the bench he's only just run up and sat down so like when they go see him he's like <sighs> okay <laughs> hey guys <laughs> uh, uh. <laughs> 
It's <laughs> uh, no, no, no. Yes, yeah, me. It's me. It's me. It's me from it's the. Me. Yeah, I'm. Uh, it's me. me, Super Soldier Joe Biden. Super Soldier Joseph, and uh, Joseph Gordon Biden. I had such a good life, guys. Uh, I just decided I wouldn't come back from the past. This is your shield now. Yeah, Take it. Yeah. Oh, I'm so tired. I didn't have time to split this shield in half so that you two could share it. <laughs> I hope that um, I hope that deciding what you do with the shield doesn't become like a big thing, and they have to make like an entire season of television. <laughs> out of it. Good luck, everybody. All right, see ya. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> do you think his super strength, like as as he gets old, do you think he's he's just like a slightly stronger but still very old person? Like he can still open like, really tightly sealed jars, like, better than most people, but most of his other super strength is sort of gone. I mean, in the first movie, it establishes the super serum affects his metabolism so greatly that he cannot get drunk. I imagine he's probably pretty well off, even as an old man. Yeah, right? Like, I should think so. That man has never had to worry about osteoporosis a day in his life. (laughs) He's like... Giving them the shield, he's like, I could still do this, by the way. I could still be Captain America. <laughs> I can still tear just... a phone booth in half. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I meant phone book, but he could tear a phone booth in half if he wanted to. If he really wanted to, he could just tear it in half. And then Clark Kent runs up, I was going to use that. Oh, no, the beams are real crossed. <laughs> oh, we're getting silly with it today. Okay. Right, the fairy tale. So she never told, and nobody knows if he kissed her. Oh, I'll never tell. Which, boy, gosh, that just, that feels like somebody defending, like, a, <laughs> defending a criminal. Well, we don't know what happened. <laughs> you can't say. <laughs> you can't say for sure that you know that that happened. That's, we can still like the prince. We can still be the fan of the prince, okay? Ladies and gentlemen, prince. We can still be the fan of his movies. We can still watch his movies, okay? Because it's alleged. It's alleged. Get it? <laughs> I feel like it's the 14th. I mean, this story came from about the 14th century or so. I'm not sure if they were quite as worried about stuff like that yet. Unless Joseph Unless. Jacobs was a time traveler himself. Oh, my gosh. He, he's the prince. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he traveled back in time to prevent himself from being canceled. <laughs> However, as the end of the enchantment had come, the princess waked at once, and looking at him with eyes of the tenderest regard, said drowsily, Is it you, my prince? I have waited... For you very long. No, you haven't. No. <laughs> that doesn't count. No, doesn't you've been count. Asleep. You were asleep the whole time, okay? You got off easy. That's not waiting. Your parents grew old and died Who's never waiting? seeing your face again. You didn't wait. Yeah, they waited. They waited. They waited. Anyway. Yeah. Charmed with these words We've and still more... I'm satisfied. <laughs> Charmed with these words and still more with the tone in which they were uttered, the prince assured her that he loved her more than his life. Nevertheless, he was the most embarrassed of the two, for thanks to the kind fairy, the princess had plenty of time to dream of him during her century of slumber, while he had never heard of her till an hour before. 
that stinks. <laughs> but I'm glad they're acknowledging that you just met and you sh- <laughs> It's weird. It's weird that you're just heaping on. Oh, baby, I love you so much. I've loved you ever since I first heard of you roughly 52 minutes ago. Ever since that old, old man told me you might be here. Like, (laughs) old man told me you might be. Like, at least in the movie, like, that night has to deal with, like, boiling hot lava and fighting a dragon. This guy just walked through and looked at some things that were kind of eerie. Maleficent isn't even here. She left. She's not even. She's back on her pleasure cruise or whatever the heck it was called. (laughs) Yeah, her vacation of pleasure. Why? These thorns. These thorns just kind of happened. Pointlessly, yeah, to add. I guess they were defending, they were protecting her. This is why I think this is a this is like another part of the good fairy spell, because they were preserving the kingdom, as yeah, it were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. He had not heard of her until the old man's dad's dad's tale turned out to be true. For a long time did they sit talking, and yet had not half enough to say. Their only interruption was the little dog. Do you remember its name? Ah, uh, Puffy? You're correct. Uh, yeah! Who had awakened with his mistress and now began to be exceedingly jealous. That's, <laughs> that's sad. <laughs> Meantime, all the attendants, whose enchantment was also broken, not being in love. Oh. Hmm? <laughs> <coughs> Sorry? This is silly. So, <laughs> I have to read this with the right. It, it, it didn't make sense at first, but now it does. Meantime, all the attendants, whose enchantment was also broken, not being in love, were ready to die of hunger after their fast of a hundred years. <laughs> okay, fine. A lady uh, of honor. Oh, va- I'm so <laughs> hungry and I'm not in love. Oh, I, what I, I would have, do for a sandwich. And I don't have the love of my life to distract me from how much I need a sandwich so bad. Oh, man. I need a calzone and a subscription to Bumbler. a lady of honor ventured to say that dinner was served whereupon the prince handed his beloved princess at once to the great hall to the great hall she did not wait to dress for dinner being already perfectly as magnificently attired though in a though in a fashion me personally i could not fall asleep if i was in my sunday best yeah really well you ever fallen asleep due to a uh fairy curse what are you, a cop? <laughs> I'm just saying, I could sleep. Fairy curse, I could sleep at anything. Yeah, I guess you're right. Must be nice. <laughs> Someone's like showing you the situation. Like, yeah, some, one of you can take the bed. One of you can take the floor. Like, what am I, cursed by a fairy? <laughs> I'm sleeping on the floor. <laughs> what am I, waiting for my prince to come? What am I? Just, jeez. <laughs> However, her lover... It's always a weird term. Her lover had the yeah, politeness I don't not like it to either. Know. Oh, okay. I I gotta reread one sentence here for this next sentence. Um, she was already perfectly and magnificently attired, though in a fashion somewhat out of date. However, her lover had had the politeness not to notice this, nor to remind her that she was dressed exactly like her royal grandmother, whose portrait still hung on the palace walls. Okay, then. Mr. Jacobs, why bring it up? <laughs> Sorry, not Jacobs. Charles Peralt. Okay, Mr. Peralt. For what reason? Out. Yeah, for what? For why? 
unless you're going to establish when the prince walks onto onto the scene that he's a very choosy fashionista this doesn't matter at all it doesn't matter at all she's like i'm ready to go down he's like (laughs) in that outfit after labor day (laughs) the pumpkins are still out During dinner, a concert by the attendant musicians took place, and considering they had not touched their instruments for a century, they played extremely well. Good for them. All these backhanded compliments are, like, (laughs) really critical. She was dressed well for a grandmother, and the... for. Not having played a music for a hundred years, they were okay. (laughs) It wasn't their fault. (laughs) It's not their fault. Give them a break, ref. They ended with a wedding march, for that very evening the marriage of the prince and princess was celebrated. And although the bride was nearly 100 years older than the bridegroom, it is remarkable that the fact would never have been discovered by anyone unacquainted therewith. After a few days they went together out of the castle and enchanted wood, both of which immediately vanished, smoke bomb, and were never more beheld by mortal eyes. The princess was restored to her ancestral kingdom, and after a few years, the prince and she became king and queen and ruled long and happily. It's nice that they took some time on that. They didn't just rush into it. Well, no, they did rush into it. Well, they got married immediately. (laughs) Baby, I love you so much. They just just partied in a castle for a few days, and then they left. Good for them. (laughs) So that means... that Probably that means that the king... The prince's parents never got notified of any any of this well no because they were dead no the the princes the prince oh, prince, sorry not the princess right, 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 the princes and princess sound are similar sounding words but he went into the woods and the and the woods closed up behind him so the only people who got to witness the wedding were like all of the frozen servants and everybody well did they say that the like the briars and stuff went away or is it just that the castle went away no, the Briars and Castle fully vanished only after the princess and prince happily married left the the, the castle finally. Oh. So nobody else could got <clears throat> All right, the prince's family was just left out of the equation entirely. Right. From from their perspective, the prince fully disappeared for several days. And, and then came <laughs> back with a wife. And then came back with a wife. Which to be fair has happened a non-zero amount of times on the podcast already, I think. Yeah. Is there a moral? Is this just one of those things where it's just such an enchanting tale that you just kind of go, huh? Well, let's think about it. What is the moral of Sleeping Beauty in its in the form that we know it? Well, I would say, okay, for there to be a moral, generally, or a theme, somebody has to get tested on something. Yeah. So that they're... they're they can show their colors or whatever, or show their qualities. That's what they say in Lord of the Rings. They, to, show, to show qualities, the prince had to do nothing extraneous or difficult. The princess had to do nothing extraneous or difficult. She had to fall asleep. He had to become aware of her. Mm-hmm. And even in the movie version, yes, he fights dragons and gets out of danger. I think in the end, though, the theme is just true love. Which well, is not super compelling if neither of them really have to fight for it. Right. It's the and, and they had to put more obstacles in his way because the the forest was basically like, come on in, man. Like he only the only decision he had to make, and we had to be told this, was that he was curious, generous, and brave. <laughs> he's a brave old <laughs> brave hero lad. Now remember, children, in. if you too are curious and brave, 
you can find a horrible castle with so many cursed people, and maybe you'll get a wife out of it. Maybe. If maybe. you're good. And if you're into that sort of thing. So I feel like he, it was written fairly well, right? I liked I liked how it was written. I thought it was very strange at the end for the author to just have all of those little asides <laughs> about how she was dressed in the musicians. And I then, think he realized that he didn't really have enough content. <laughs> the story is surprisingly dull and straightforward if the fairy just decides to leave after the curse and doesn't follow up on it at all. Doesn't it just feel like a like a critical sort of gossip? friend going like yeah she and eve okay so like they, they they're such a good couple they're so and they, they seem so pretty together she is a hundred years older than he is but it's fine like i don't i don't care and did you see and nobody she was wearing on her and, yeah, wedding you, day on her wedding day on her wedding day and yes she's been asleep for a hundred years and she's just gotten up and she's super hungry <laughs> and in love oh there goes a siren and like, I don't care though. It's not like I don't care. Like, it's not my business. It's fine. And you wouldn't have known about it had I not brought it up just now. But like, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Like, that wouldn't be me on my wedding day. I'd wear what's in style. Like, I'd wear the fashion. You know, I'd be chic. I'd be Vogue. It was unnecessarily be... catty. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> As for does it deserve to stand the test of time? Even though it did, I kind of want to say no. Like, honestly, it doesn't have any depth. And these days, when we have movies like Encanto and Moana and Frozen that get to the root of something, like whether it's familial love or finding forgiveness in others or working past your traumas, I feel like there's so many better fairy tales that have a more thoughtful message and not just true love. Because if it's a theme statement that you can just say the thing, but you can't say anything specific about that subject, then it's not very good, right? Well, to I, I think where the opportunity is to keep it alive, and you in the movies, in the adaptations, it's it's so clear that there's not enough meat on these bones because they have to add all of these extra villains and obstacles in the prince's way that they're going to conquer. But in the story itself, just as we've read it, I think where you get value is in surrogation. You can put yourself like the 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 young lad read it, you know, being read this story goes like, wow, one day I could, like you said, like I could explore uh, the, a, a dangerous and and creepy environment, and I could go, I could save a princess, and I think that's the that's the broader audience appeal, and that's where like the wonderment comes in, and of course, then you know, the boy's sister listening to the tale goes like, and what do I get to do? And then the, the his brother's like, well, you just sleep for a hundred years, and then. <laughs> then, you know, feminism is not brought forward for many, many hundreds more millennia. Ah, so it's the twilight of fairy tales. It's the twilight of fairy tales. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, a lot of people don't know this, but Stephanie Meyer set out to rewrite Sleeping Beauty when she wrote her great vampire <laughs> books, Twilight. No, 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 that's not what I mean. I mean that <laughs> Bella, for all intents and purposes, is just supposed to be there to be the reader insert. Like, she doesn't have a lot of personality. You might as well just name her Pants because she's meant to be a character that the reader puts on. Right, in the with the with the 
with the assumption that somebody's going to read the book and the draw-in is somebody will look at me the way Edward looks at Bella. Exactly. And I can pretend that Bella is, or, uh, you know, that, that we have somebody, you know, somebody will obsess over me, fawn over me, be so protective of me. Reading the the novel from Edward's perspective, the one that came out like a few years ago. Mm-hmm, uh, with the pomegranate on it. Yeah, the one with the pomegranate on it was so <laughs> disturbing. <laughs> Like he is, he's, but it, but it's the same. You get the exact same thing from the from the other side. Like everything Bella thought, and everything you get to think reading the book about how, having this kind of like powerful, mysterious, uh, damaged protector. He's like, yep, that's exactly what's going on. He stalks her every night, and he waits outside her bedroom <laughs> to make sure nothing bad happens to her because he's obsessed and can't leave her alone. What you see is what you get. What you see is exactly what you get. To be clear, I don't hate on twilight especially not to the extent that some people found it trendy back in its heyday i just acknowledge that uh it's not the best written thing but if you like it you like it and that's fine well you know at all people should read more people should read more and i will never ever dissuade someone from reading a book exactly yeah have a good have a have a time with twilight read it with a group Read it with people you can talk about it too, because that's you get a lot of social social outlets uh, in that way. I find that to be very fun. It's rewarding to talk about what happens in a book with somebody, especially because books feel so intimate and so long form. Like you spend a lot of time with a book, and then when you're done, you're like, "Has anybody else read this book? <laughs> Anyone else?" Uh... Like it happens especially when you get through like an like a large series. Like I read, I read this, I read this like four book series uh, about a man climbing up this bizarre ancient tower structure where every level is like a different city and community was that send uh, ascends yeah i read the yeah and then there's three more books after that my uh wife actually just bought me the really nice uh subterranean press versions recently so i plan to read that soon and then we can talk oh, about it i'll have somebody to talk to about this story yay <laughs> it's really good and and it and it only gets better i'd say like this guy finds his feet as the books go on and the first one's like the first one is good. The next three are great. That's good because if yeah. <laughs> I feel like the second book slump is a very common thing in literature where mm. they know exactly how to start it and they have a really concrete idea how to end it most of the time. But that bridge to get there is always a little bit wobbly. You know, I've been su- I've been pleasantly surprised in the last few series as I've read um like the second Angel of Indian Lake, or not or the Indian Lake series with Stephen Graham Jones. The second one was great. Um, the second Three Body Problem book was amazing, and I thought I thought it was just like, like untold, like folds better than the first one, and I hmm. really liked the first one. And so I've been I've been really uh, I've been really digging on these series, but I get you. I see I see your point. I think it happens in movies a lot more often than books. Yeah. And sometimes it's even more magnified if it's like a book to movie adaptation because Mm -hmm. the Maze Runner series, which is always the series I point to as the one that fell off the worst. But the second book is where things really tank. And with the movie, it was not it was not good at all. Well, I feel like because it was so different from how the book played out. And yet Mm. it was still equally disappointing. 
I the, the Maze Runner has a massive issue, and I think it's the same issue that Hunger Games has. Whereas Hunger, I mean, I think Hunger Games did does this a lot better. Hunger Games is just a great read throughout the entire thing. But you establish a interesting conceit or a formula in your first YA dystopian literature book, like there is this maze which is crazy and killing you. And then there is a, or or there's the Hunger Games, which is essentially like a, you know, a gamified blood sport. And when you get out of that, mm-hmm. and there's no still, more maze, <laughs> and there's no more maze, or there's no more Hunger Game, you have to figure out a way to say the, the, the interesting, the thing I wanted to say, which is that this is a dystopian nightmare that we all live in. And can't you see the, you know, can you see the similarities I'm drawing between my novels and life at large? Then you, but you have to also go. But the thing that people were like drawn into was, you know, reading about children killing each other in a blood sport or trying to navigate a freaky maze. So you have to somehow you have to somehow crowbar the blood sport or the maze back into the novels mm-hmm. in the second and third installments. Yep. If <laughs> you can't lose your big pitch in book two. Mm-hmm. And it's like, and, and Hunger Games does that well in the second one, because they're like, oh, I, we, we, we've got the conceit of the quarter quell, and now we can chuck everybody back in there. And like, mm-hmm. I think the second one is really strong in that regard. Yeah, absolutely. And then in the third one is where it breaks down for me, because they're like, we're going through the capital city, but remember all the traps from the first two Hunger Games? <laughs> we're and, gonna then, p- <laughs> and there's that line where Finnick points at the map and says, all right, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the 76th annual Hunger Games. Like, no, Finnick. <laughs> no, actually. <laughs> it's just a city with traps in it. It's a city with traps in it. Instead of having armed soldiers just, like, around every corner, they just put more of those, like, hornet's nests. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> Why would you do that? Why would that be strategically ideal? Uh, Foolish is what it is. From a uh, from a tactical perspective. It hasn't been, it's not a good fairy tale, really, but it sure has given us a lot to talk about, about how stories work. It is, yeah, and then I think the Maze Runner probably dropped the ball. I didn't read, the, I, I watched all three movies. I can barely remember the third movie. I'll tell was you what. Was there a third movie? There, the second one's The Scorch Trials. There was. Okay, this is uh, separate from that, but the Divergent movies, the the oh, they were worse, yeah. Well, yeah, but the third one was supposed to be split in two parts because the third one did so poorly; they never made the second part. Yeah, I think we can we can crown that one as, as the, the as the big whiff, the truly whiffed. But in series, the, at least the Maze Runner had the guts <laughs> to finish what it started in the third book of the fi- of the first trilogy the death cure in the last page oh, they right. reveal that the evil corporation was also responsible for like the disease ravishing the world and they drop that in the last page and i my only thought was cool i could not care less mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that's how you know that you lost your readers i think i think you gotta figure out a way to just you got, i mean how do you you can't bring the maze back in the scorch trials he's like oh it's a desert it's a desert famous famously desert <laughs> a, a wallless a, a, a landscape free of big scary walls <laughs> anyway are you reading any good books I am, actually. I'm in the middle of reading Burn the Negative by Josh Winning. So, 
to set the stage for how this book is so good, it frustrates me. Um, the Shadow Glass guy? It is the Shadow Glass guy, yes. I recognize the name. So here's the thing. Um, a handful of months ago, I started working on a horror novel of my own. And Ooh. I knew that it was going to be about this tiny town that was put on the map because of a cult classic horror movie that was filmed there in the 80s. And I knew that for every chapter, I wanted to start with some sort of piece of media discussion about the movie. Like a review or a look back on 20 years since the movie came came out or people posting online about it because I was inspired by how the shadow glass did it. And yep. then I found this book in Barnes and Noble and I said, Oh God, they're doing exactly what I want to do with a horror movie. Maybe I should read this. And then I realized it's Josh winning. And my thought was shoot. Now I have to be so entirely clear in my, this is for you thing at the start of the book to make it clear that I'm not trying to copy Josh winning. You are you are allowed as a as a I would say, I I, I not I don't think it's like as an amateur novelist, you're allowed to draw inspiration from wherever. The whole point of being you know the whole point of writing is to write. I know it's just that I the think fact that Shadowglass inspired me to do that sort of book, and then Josh Winnie just went and made that book. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, anyway, well, he's it's got real- his style. It's it's really good. It's about this journalist who used to be a child actor who starred in a 90s horror flick that was uh, cursed, essentially. Everyone involved in the project eventually ended up dying in different ways. And the project was already traumatizing enough for her in other ways. She moved to the UK. She changed her name. She basically wanted to distance herself from that life entirely. But then... Her editor sends her to L.A. to write on an upcoming series, which she then learns is a remake of that movie. And so she's just, Mm. oh, God, this again. And she's just miserable because she's spent her whole life trying to bury that. But then the curse returns, so to speak. And it is very good, super compelling. It's one of those sorts of main characters where they're a little bit unlikable. But you can see where life has hardened them to be like that. So mm. it's very compelling to see them. You want to see them succeed and have that sort of clarity and closure that has just eluded them their entire life. And even though I'm a good two thirds of the way through, I'm still not entirely sure how this is going to wrap up. So I'm, nice. I'm really, really enjoying it. Do you know... Um... Do you happen to know if it was before if, if that book came out before or after Shadow Glass? It definitely came out after. It was on the after. Barnes and Noble uh, new releases table when I got it. Gotcha. Shadow Glass actually now that I'm thinking about it, I feel like I read on the cover it's like a debut novel for him. Uh, so maybe that was maybe that was a bad question in the first heck place. Heck of a de- <laughs> heck of a debut. That's good. Definitely a good story. I'm I'm in I'm finding that um for some reason, the novels I keep picking up are constantly doing that, like, beginning of chapter. Like, it's kind of a fad these right now, because uh, the Stephen Graham Jones Angel uh, Indian Lake Trilogy are doing that as well. Like, with those interstitials of, like, in the first one, it's it's her different essays, right, about all of the horror films that mm-hmm. she's watched. Yeah. And then in, in Shadow Glass, it's the different reviews and media and, like, podcast transcripts about the shadow glass series i don't know it's an int- it's compelling it's a fun it, style yeah it kind of makes it like i guess the reason why i want to do it for my project is because it makes the movie feel not just like 
a movie that they're talking about in the book, but like it's a living, breathing document. Like, I've Mm -hmm. already got some pages written up of someone talking about how it changed the face of horror. I've got one about how someone kind of did a highlight of the animatronics in the movie. Like, it's just pieces that are supposed to kind of elevate that movie to feel more real than it actually is. Nice. That's cool. Yeah. And it's nice, too, because I tell you what, it, it makes for a page turner. Books that are like... Books, especially when they have like barely any chapters, even they just like keep going and going and going. And you're like, boy, I wish I could come to like a stopping spot here. So I can put this down for a second. Um, Then you get a little treat between chapters. Exactly. Like I I find that very easy to like continue. It it makes like the pages turn a little bit faster in my brain. Yeah. Well, cool. Thank you for the recommendation. Absolutely. I I might look into that one. My to-read shelf is bursting right now, and I'm trying to spend some time pulling books off of it. Um. That's actually what I'm doing leading up to uh, my... So my wife and I are going to be homeowners, essentially, in about half a year. And the big thing I'm working on right now is reading as many books as I can that I don't think I'm going to keep. Because Mm. all those books that I'm selling means less that I'm going to have to haul all the way over to the new place. Gotcha. That's a good, that's, that's a cool idea. Dude, I fluctuate back and forth all the time between like, do I keep these books? Because I kind of, there's a, there's a, uh, there's a monkey part of my brain that keeps like books on my shelf are like trophies mm-hmm. and I want to have them and I want to look at them. And I feel like they're a, like a, a pin on my life. Like, like I did that one, that one I read. And then there's another part of me, like, especially when, when we moved recently, where I was like, ah, oh, I'll just keep, like, my ten favorite books and throw out the rest. And then there's some days where I'm like, oh, I wish I kind of hadn't gotten rid of one of those, a couple of those books. Mm-hmm. See, I had a lot of that experience early <laughs> on in my life, and so now there's no one training my brain from that. But I feel like I'm doing a lot better <laughs> job of keeping what I like. And if it's something that I just kind of liked, you can probably get it for $2 on Kindle at some point. Yeah, fair enough. Can I tell you? Can I tell you my system? I wish you would. So I, I've 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 got two shelves on my bookshelf because I kind of started my bookshelf over a little bit, other than like my ten favorite books that I kept from the move. Uh, and now I've got a shelf in my bedroom of all the books I haven't read. So there's not a novel on my on my regular bookshelf. There isn't a single book there that I haven't read. Mm-hmm. So once I read the book from my from my to read shelf, if I liked it enough, it goes on the bookshelf. And if I didn't like it enough, I go, I can I can make I can donate that one. And that way I'm almost like locking them into place. It is st- it, I do feel like I've sort of gamified and, and like more so trophified <laughs> than my my previous system. But I like I like looking at the shelf going like, yep, those are the books I've read. And then in another place is a shelf of books I haven't read. Sounds simple. Yeah, it's nice. All right. All Boy, right. We, I know we've been going for an hour, but I spent like 10 minutes trying to deal with that fraud alert, so it's not that actually yeah. that long. Thankfully, the audience doesn't need to worry about that. Yeah. Honestly. That's a deleted scene that you all don't get. I, I, I like it when we go along like this, because it shows that even though we're just talking about fairy tales, we're also making it a conversation between two friends. Yeah, we, we've, we have a good... We got a good vibe going on here. Yeah. Oh, also, uh, play Jedi Survivor when you're done with Baldur's Gate. <laughs> it's really good. I'll see if I can make time for it. Scratches that itch of running around being a Jedi, but also collecting bunches of fun stuff and also solving puzzles. I do like fun stuff and puzzles. You ever hit something with a lightsaber? God, feels good. Mm. 
If you'd like some fun stuff and to hit things with a lightsaber, maybe continue listening to the Fable <laughs> Fellas. We're available on Spotify, on Apple Podcast, and anywhere else that you might get your podcasts. Any final that's, thoughts for the show, Carter? That's so true. Uh, shout out to the uh, creator of Twinkle Twinkle Little Star, who helps <laughs> with our theme song for the. <laughs> <laughs> for the podcast years I don't before our time <laughs> i have nothing i have nothing to say okay you could just tell me that <laughs> i don't know i felt like i should come with something. all right well this has been the f- oh wait sorry i'm riley i'm carter and this has been the fable fellas keep it viddy everybody keep it viddy.